Have you ever wondered what the difference is between a PT and an OT? How about a nutritionist and a dietitian, or a physician assistant and a nurse practitioner? If so, you are not alone. Even those who work in healthcare may be unclear about some of the roles and responsibilities of various other industry professionals. It's why we created this podcast to discuss the similarities and the differences between certain healthcare professions as well as the misconceptions, plus how those professionals work together to care for patients. I'm Catherine Mazone, and you are listening to Healthcare Who Does It. Coming up on this episode of Healthcare Who Does It, we're delving into the world of social work. Our guest today will explain the distinction in their duties and the difference a degree makes, plus how the two work closely to meet the needs of the underserved. The conversation is coming up right now on Healthcare Who Does It. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Healthcare Who Does It. We have joining us today Erin Clarkson. She's an LMSW, that's a licensed Master of Social Work. She is the lead social worker at Hertza Heart Failure Clinic. Thank you so much for being with us, Erin. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Claire Harris, she is a licensed independent clinical social worker. She's the behavioral health lead and therapist at UAB PATH and Hertza Clinics. Thanks again. We appreciate you being here, Claire. Thanks for having me. First of all, tell me why you chose to go into your particular field instead of, say, following Aaron's career path as a licensed master of social work. To get where I am, I have been where Aaron is. Um, the things that we have in common are um, that we both have a master's degree in social work, um, and then we both pass the LMSW licensure exam. So um, that's what I did for many years, um, doing case management, medical social work, um, and then decided that I wanted to go forward and get my LICSW um, to focus more on therapy and working with patients in that capacity. Um, so to get to this point, um, I had two years of supervision by a board certified um, at that time LCSW. Um, once that was completed, then I studied and I took the um, exam, the clinical exam, passed that, and then was able at that point to focus on therapy as an LICSW. Okay. So how many more years would you say of learning and work did you have to do? About two. You said you, that you practiced for a long time as an LMSW mm -hmm. before making that switch. Absolutely. You do not have to be and become an LICSW if that is not your passion. So um, people can remain an LMSW for their whole career. Um, they theoretically could get out of school 
and start their supervision immediately after getting out of school and become an LSCSW within a few years. And and it's the highest license mm-hmm. for social work. And so a lot of times that is the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it just makes you more marketable. It does open up other possibilities within leadership and administration as well. I'd like to hear a little bit from you, Erin, as to why you decided to go into your field. I have a master's degree in social work and public health. And I I really, this is a little bit of a different answer than Claire gave, but I really have always kind of been drawn to vulnerable populations. And so I, I knew social work would would give me tools to kind of help people and help empower them. And, um, and then I liked the, the data side, kind of using the data to tell a story of public health. And so that is sort of how I ended up here and um, ended up working with a vulnerable medical population. I think it'd probably be good, I completely forgot this part, to kind of give us a little overview of what you do. What does your job entail? So Claire mentioned case management. Um, And so as an outpatient medical social worker, I essentially do case management. So I help people manage and solve problems, sort of any identified um, social need that comes up. Um, Usually that starts with a psychosocial assessment, which many social workers start with. Um, And that's gathering information about the person, about their relationships, about their social environment. And I use that to identify social determinants of health, which are non-medical factors that influence health outcomes um, defined by the CDC. Basically, those are kind of anything going on that serve as a barrier to you managing your health. Um, so the, the most common factors that come up are basic needs, things like you know safety, shelter, food, that type of thing, medication access. It's our job a lot of times to get free and discounted medications and give patients access to their medicines to manage their health, access to care, um, primary care, other specialty care, kind of anywhere in the the medical world that they need to go, and then emotional support. So kind of day-to-day, that's what my role looks like in clinic. And I'm guessing that you have to kind of like people or want to work with people in order to do your job? Yes. <laughs> uh, the short answer. I do, I do think, yeah, that rapid rapport and building mm-hmm. trust is huge. I think you can tell somebody something a million times, but if they, if they don't trust you, if you don't kind of meet them where they are, then they likely won't listen. And tell us, Claire, how does your job differ? My main role at the clinic, at the clinics, is as the patient's therapist. Um, so where Aaron really focuses on social determinants of health, um, I focus on their behavioral health, their emotional health, um, psychological health, and really work with the patients, um, in whatever they're struggling with. So whether it's depression or anxiety, um, and helping them work through, whatever issues are going around that, and then helping them find coping skills um, to try to make it easier to deal with those issues, problems that they're having. 
I was going to add oh. that a lot of times with these patients, they are adjusting to whatever diagnosis mm-hmm. they just got, heart failure or diabetes. And so Claire steps in to kind of help them manage all the changes that just happened. Mm-hmm. And as well, you know, things like grief, we have, especially in the last three years with the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, we have had, and these are vulnerable populations, um, we've had a lot of people who've um, lost family members and friends. Um, there's a lot of violence that happens in Birmingham. They've lost loved ones to violence. Um, and so that's a big part of my job as well is um, helping them work through their grief um, and any other struggles that they're having in their life because, you know, we can't expect them to reach peak optimal physical health, whether it's with their diabetes, heart failure, or both, um, if their mental health is not also good too. Right. I'm going to throw a curveball at you, Claire. Okay. Um, how does your job differ from a psychologist besides the obvious certification schooling? Mm-hmm. Well, a few things. Um, one is that as a social worker in LICSW in Alabama, I cannot diagnose patients. That is uh, one big difference. The second is there are a lot of different assessments that a psychologist can perform that I am not trained in. Um, As far as like the therapeutic um, part, um, doing different therapeutic techniques, I would say we are the same in that aspect. Hmm. What are the most common misconceptions that folks have about your job? I have four. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so the first one that, that we hear all the time and friends, family, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody thinks this, that um, we work for DHR and DHR. that we, we do um, child protective services or adult protective mm-hmm. services. And so friends that I've known for 20 years think that I kind of take children away. Um, so there are social workers, obviously, that work for DHR, but that is not who we work for, we do, we are mandated reporters and we Mm -hmm. have to report um, suspected child abuse, neglect, um, adult suspected neglect for vulnerable populations, Mm -hmm. but don't work directly with them. And that's a small part of what we do. Another misconception is that um, leadership and, and management, I feel like is kind of built into our training. And so is in our scope of practice, um, we learn a lot about motivating groups and, you know, group cohesion mm-hmm. and that kind of thing that can lead to productivity and um, and workplace satisfaction. And... You got a cheat sheet, don't you? I do. You're cheating. <laughs> um, another one is, um, and you mentioned this earlier, but kind of that you like people, you know, and, and that's the only requirement and I think um, I think that is a big part of it, and you do have to be a people person and able to engage people. But I think it takes a, a lot of knowledge of um, systems, mm-hmm. you know, those local, state, national policies and systems and how, how you qualify for them and kind of how to get people connected, whether it's Medicaid, housing, you know, anything that comes up. So knowledge of resources. Yes. Yeah, and how to how to give people the tools to navigate mm-hmm. it or kind of be their own self advocate, um, while also 
um, Claire, Claire and I talked about this mm-hmm. recently, but um, meeting people where they are, you know, we, in social work, we, and I think in other fields, they call it self-determination, but um, giving that person a little bit of control over decisions made. And I think in the, when they're in the hospital, when they're in the clinic, when they've just been diagnosed, so much of it is not in their control. Um, you know, people are telling them decisions and so kind of giving them a little bit of that back and, and meeting them where they are. Um, and then the last one I have is kind of the magic wand, the, you know, this patient said that they need a new front door (laughs) or, you know, kind of the miscellaneous needs, but I'll, I'll share a funny story that we had a a nurse practitioner student. (laughs) This was a couple of years ago, but she had finished seeing the patient and she, um, came to me to kind of check out and hand, hand off the patient to me. And she said, I don't really know what to tell you. Um, you know, the only thing that I can think of is that her, she said her cat has fleas. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's the summation of the visit. (laughs) I did not help with that specific need. And I think a lot of times if a social worker gets involved, we can usually identify a couple of of needs or ways we can help. But um, yes. Your job is not to make repairs or... Right. And occasionally we can. <laughs> there, there are local <laughs> programs, just usually not immediate mm-hmm. and kind of not in our back pocket. Yeah. I would imagine that there's a lot of different areas you have to concern yourself with, including, I would think, you know, insurance. Is your job similar at all in that way, Claire? Yeah, I think Erin um, and I kind of share a lot of similarities, um, kind of what Aaron was talking about, just being a social worker in general. I think we kind of share those similarities. For me, um, one of the things is just because I have that LICSW licensure, um, it doesn't mean I, I can only do therapy, right? I have done things, you know, worked in the medical field. And so um, if someone on my team, another social worker on my team is not there, I can pick up. I can do those things. Um, I uh, did some medical social work a few years ago at Hertz, uh, um, just one day a week, and um, I was doing what Aaron was doing. And then on the other days, I was doing my therapy job. So I'm. That's kind of the beauty about social workers. I think in general is that we're really versatile, and we can kind of move between multiple things, um, multiple positions, um, and serve the needs of the patients. I went to a public liberal arts uh, university for undergrad, and um, my degrees are in English literature with a minor in art history. Wow. <laughs> yes. Mine's close. I did psychology okay. for undergrad um, and sort of considered going the clinical psychology route and um, thought social work might be a little bit more broad and mm-hmm. um, open up more opportunities. Is there a reason why you decided to, to go broad? I think accessibility. I think I I wasn't totally sure that I wanted to do clinical psychology. And so I thought going the, the psychology route would limit me when I wasn't quite ready to make that decision. Um, and that's why I love the social work and public health, because it, it was a little bit even more versatile. obviously already know each other. You work in (laughs) the same clinic. 
How do you two, or do you two, work together? Erin and I work really closely together. Erin、um, actually used to be the social worker at Path Clinic as well for many years,、um, and so she is very well versed in sort of the population at the Path Clinic as well. We collaborate quite a bit.、Um, we have lots of conversations about how we can, you know, using. Our own skills, how we can、um, work together to provide care for patients. As an example, if I'm working with a patient and、um, maybe they have anxiety, and、um, one of the things they're anxious about is that they got a disconnect notice for their power bill. One of the things I would do is then connect them with Aaron、um, to see if there are resources out in the community to help pay that bill. As a medical social worker, we see、um, a lot of patients. We see every patient in the clinic,、um, not at every visit, but at a lot of them. And as part of that assessment that we do,、um, we use a couple of validated tools for depression and anxiety, and we look at those. And if they are high, if they're indicating depression or anxiety, then we discuss behavioral health and the opportunity、um, to see Claire as a therapist and. A lot of our patients haven't really had access to mental health services, especially at no cost. We identify the need that way, or of course, if they're talking about adjustment or anxiety, depression, mental health, anything like that, then we refer to her that way.、Um, but I think day to day we sort of rely on each other's lens. You know, kind of、mm-hmm. the what's your take on it from where、mm-hmm. you're sitting, and what's my take, and、um, I think. The goal is always to get the person connected to whatever they need to get connected to, and it's just sort of a brainstorming. Two is better than one. Collaborative effort. Yes. So, despite the fact you two work with somewhat different populations, you still work very closely. Yes. I'm curious also how your roles fit into the larger healthcare team. How you all work with doctors and nurses and. And perhaps physical therapists at the Path Clinic and at the Hertz Clinic, we both do morning huddles,、mm-hmm. and that is our entire team. Every interprofessional specialist,、mm-hmm. any、yeah. team member, team member, yeah.、Um, and so, you know, everybody sort of reports on the patient, gives an update, what the goal of the day is. In that, we identify maybe what medical. Um, referrals they need, what services they need access to, or we just share some of the concerns, barriers that the person was facing. And so after we see the patient, or after I see the patient in Hertza, I go report to the nurse practitioner. I may, you know, the pharmacy student may say, "Well, he hasn't been picking up his medication," and then we go over affordability and the best way to get it at low or no cost. That kind of thing. It's just really whenever a need is identified,、mm-hmm. um, we are kind of brought in. We're already seeing the patient, but we're certainly alerted to it if we don't know it. Yeah, same, same for me.、Um, and for us, we have、um, we have huddle in the morning, and then we also have huddle for afternoon clinic as well because、um, we have、uh, residents and an attending who come to the Path Clinic.、Um, and what's been Really cool about that is that the residents, I mean, as well as the whole team,、um, really get exposed to what we do. Right? They're just not putting in a consult for social work.、Um, they're really interacting with me as the therapist, with our medical social worker,、um, and so 
if a patient isn't on my schedule that day, but they've been in with a patient, they come out and they'll say, this patient just is so tearful and is crying. And um, is there any way you could go talk to them? So kind of figure out what's going on and um, go in and just being able to assess and being there to provide that support for the staff as well as the patients. And I think some of our provider, you know, it, it gives you a glimpse into the complexity that maybe sometimes mm-hmm. is not always seen. And mm-hmm. we had a, a nurse practitioner one time that said, you know, when I first started, I was I knew I was going to be at, at the PATH clinic and I knew what to tell people to eat. And I was just going to tell them to count carbs and do this, that and the other. And this patient population can't always afford to eat mm-hmm. healthy, you know, all of the right things. And so that tactic just doesn't work without assistance, you know, mm-hmm. and, and without the support. I think we had connected them to a community resource, but we also have food in our clinic. But giving them that little bit of support to lead to compliance um, was helpful. Claire, I'm curious what the independent means in your title. It means that I can provide therapy independently, like in a private practice setting, Okay. Um, if I chose to do that. Could you do both? Yes. I do see LICSW in office buildings. I'm assuming that they're in private practice with other psychologists or psychiatrists. If you look at really any counseling yeah. therapy website these days, yeah. um, there better is... Better help, all the Yeah, better help, yes. There, there will be um, LICSWs as well as like counselors, LPCs, um, there will definitely be an LICSW. I also am under the understanding that it's sometimes more affordable for a patient to seek the services of an LICSW than, you know, going to a psychologist. Yes, that's true. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) That is right. Yes. I don't bill for my services Mm -hmm. um, in either of the clinics, um, but should... I start billing, I think, yes, it would be more economical. We talked about the private practice for you, Claire. We talked about both of you working in the setting that you're now in. What sort of opportunities, other opportunities are there? Claire and I brainstormed about this prior to Yes. (laughs) So some of the Specialties are geriatrics, adults, crisis intervention, child and adult protective services, which we've talked about, school social work, um, home health and hospice, addiction, leadership and administrative roles, mental health, um, medical, of course, which is what we do, and then therapy. And we wrote down this tagline. Yes. (laughs) Where there's a vulnerable person, you will likely find a social worker. Oh, I like that. Yes. But lots of opportunities. Yes. Would you say most often you all are are treating those in uh, disadvantaged populations or underserved areas? Yeah, I'd yeah. say yeah, vast uh, majority. Yes. Not always, but yeah, most of the time. Mm-hmm. I don't have my cheat sheet with me, so. What, what haven't I asked you all that's on your list? You have answers for everything. <laughs> One of the things I really haven't talked about, but it, it is a huge part of my job, is um, are they a danger to themselves mm-hmm. or others? 
um, a lot of things that I, a lot of patients that I assess, um, you know, sometimes it's not, not necessarily are they, are they a danger to themselves, but maybe they feel like they'd be better off dead. Um, Aaron talked about, we do a validated screener, the PHQ-9, which assesses for depression. And the last question is that, um, are, uh, are you, uh, do you want to harm yourself or do you feel like you'd be better off dead? And so if they score anything besides zero, we assess them. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is something that I do talk to people, find out where they are, how they're doing. Um, we do a Columbia suicide screener. So that's one of the things that is always on my radar. Also what, what their mood is like, how they're doing. Maybe they come into clinic usually in a pretty good mood. They're happy. Um, they've got all their blood sugars written down or they're, you know, they're, they're good to go. And all of a sudden they come in, their blood sugars in the three or four hundreds and they're crying, right? Mm -hmm. Something is going on that I'm going to want to assess. And then any um, urgent like mental health or substance abuse concerns. If someone comes in and they're under the influence or if someone admits that they're using a substance, um, you know, I'll go in and assess and, and see where they are. And Erin, are you the one of the first people who often sees a patient? Yeah, so we see our patients pretty regularly in path clinic mm -hmm. does too. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, seeing as a medical social worker is part of it and, and that substance use part mm -hmm. is part of that assessment. Mental health is part of that housing stability, all of those things. And, um, and another big thing that we get pulled into is, is de-escalation, just mm -hmm. kind of if people are upset, if they're overwhelmed, if whatever is going on under the, the stressful circumstance, we typically get pulled in to help de-escalate the, the patient. So you might be the first and the last person a patient sees. When <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kind of do that service recovery mm -hmm. piece. I've been a social worker for almost coming up 13 years. And I have been a social worker for 11 years. Why stick with it? What do you, what keeps you coming back every day? That's a good question. That's a <laughs> I think it's when you have the connection with somebody mm -hmm. that you can sort of see that hopeless kind of move to having hope or having that trust or having the tools to get out of the situation that they're in or make a little progress or um, a lot of times it's the, the access to care, you know, if they need something but they don't have insurance and so they can't get it. But we know of X, Y, and Z, and we'll help them with paperwork and help them get documents and kind of step by step. And they're able to see that tangible progress, I think, um, I think is a, a big part of why I stay in it. Yeah, I think seeing patients get better yeah. um, is something that I try to hold on to because they're, they're tough days, um, you know, with patients um, and I think seeing them get better, seeing them feel less depressed, um, seeing them not feeling suicidal anymore, getting stable on mental health medication, that kind of keeps me going. I also really like that no day is the same. Yeah. I like I like the variation. And even though I have a schedule for the day, I kind of never know how it's really 
gonna go. And, you know, I think there's a, you have to be flexible and versatile and kind of keeps, keeps me on my toes. Yeah. Kind of wherever equity is needed, you know, it's uh-huh. sort of what, wherever inequity shows up. Yes. We sort of We're kind of there. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool, y'all. Thank you so much. What would you tell someone who's looking to get their education and go on to be either a licensed independent clinical social worker or a licensed master of social work? What, what would be, hey, when you go into this, if you forget everything else I've said, remember this. I would say, well, Aaron and I both have students. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Even better. Yes. <laughs> um, I often tell my students that you're going to want to save the world, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be able to save the world. Um, and one of the most important things is to have the mentality, to shift the mentality to listening Mm -hmm. and supporting and building rapport with your patients. Um, Because there's a lot going to be a lot of energy spent on trying to solve all the problems that are just sometimes unsolvable. And sometimes we can really understand way more if we just listen. I think it's... uh I totally agree with mm-hmm. what Claire said, but that kind of acceptance of where somebody is mm-hmm. and, and their perspective, their personality, that you're not necessarily going to make a dent in that, but can provide tools and, and be that trusting individual. Yeah, sure. Yeah, really excellent conversation. Thank you, Thank you both you. again very much for taking the time to speak with us. This podcast is brought to you by the 2022 Interprofessional Leadership Fellows with the Center for Interprofessional Education and Simulation at the University of Alabama at Birmingham in association with the Department of Family and Community Medicine at UAB's Marnix E. Hearsing School of Medicine. Music and effects provided by YouTube Studios Audio Library and pixabay.com. Until next time, this is Catherine Mazzone with Healthcare Who Does It. Thanks for listening. Thank you.